We are currently in the middle of a sermon series called In Christ. And again, if you're visiting or if you haven't been with us for some time, this series is an exposition of St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And I've outlined this series with three themes. First, the blessings that we have in Christ. Second, our position in Christ. And third, what it looks like to live life in Christ. And this follows the natural literary structure of Paul's writing. Chapter 1 explains our blessings in Christ. Chapters 2 and 3 describe our position in Christ. And then chapters 4 through 6 illustrate what it looks like to live life in Christ. So far, we've given our attention to the blessings that we have in Christ. Chapter 1 was all about the indicatives of the gospel, what we have graciously received in Christ, that which God has lavished upon us, nothing that we have worked for or earned. This was predestination, election, salvation, redemption, adoption, the gift and blessing of the Holy Spirit, and an eternal inheritance. We also considered our position in Christ. First, we analyzed our old position apart from Christ. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, totally depraved, suffering from moral inability, dull to the things of God, rebellious and following Satan, and thus deserving of God's wrath. Furthermore, you and I were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of God's people, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our old position apart from Christ. But then we've examined our new position in Christ. God in his mercy made you and me alive together with Christ, raised us up and seated us in heavenly places, Not because of anything that we have done, but simply because God has chosen to be gracious toward us. Also, by our union with Christ, by grace through faith, you and I now have peace with God and with one another. Through our union with Christ, we share in all the same rights and privileges of God's covenant people. With all the saints and members of the household of God, spanning both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is our new position in Christ. We once were separated and dead. Now we have been brought near and made alive. Those were the blessings and the positions that Paul expounds upon in chapters 1 through 3. And then two weeks ago, we pivoted from looking at the indicatives of the gospel and began to focus on the imperatives of the gospel. And that is found in chapters 4 through 6. So, as we've made that pivot, our sermon this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And in this sermon this morning, I've summarized these verses with two points, which I hope capture the imperative nature of our text. So, point number one is this. In verses 17 through 19, Paul says, don't do this. And then point number two is this. In verses 20 through 24, Paul says, 
do this. So this morning we will unpack both of those points. Don't do this. Do this. And then we will consider some practical application for you and me here at All Saints Church. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I'm going to read our text and then pray. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you bow your head with me as I pray a prayer of illumination? Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate your holy word. Help us to understand Paul's commands the admonitions and exhortations. And then, Father, help us to put these things into practice here as we live in the life and body of All Saints Church. I pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so let's begin by considering point number one. Paul says, don't do this. Look at verses 17 through 19. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The thing that the Apostle Paul says the Ephesians should not do is walk as the Gentiles do. And the Greek word that is translated as walk is a popular term in the vocabulary of St. Paul. It is commonly used in all of his writings except for the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And this word appears six times in the epistle to the Ephesians, and in the next chapter, Paul will continue to develop the concepts around this word. Outside of Holy Scripture, the terminology simply means to walk. However, linguistic scholars have pointed out that when used in the New Testament, this word has significant spiritual connotations, particularly by Jewish writers and audiences. So within the context of the New Testament, this word walk is synonymous with living and one's conduct. And for example, in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, we read the following. And the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk 
according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. In this gospel account, the Pharisees and scribes were simply asking Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to our rabbinical traditions? And the, and the word that's translated there is walk, but the concept is the idea of living, the idea of conduct. Also, this understanding of walk provides a little bit more meaning to Jesus's interaction with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, when he said, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Certainly the idea of living was in view, along with the physical walking, as Jesus spoke those words. But with all of that being said, here in verse 17, Paul is simply telling the Ephesians, do not live like the Gentiles. That's what he's getting at. Do not live like the Gentiles. Now, with that being said, a logical question presents itself. What does Paul mean by Gentiles? After all, at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul spoke a great deal about Jew and Gentile no longer being at odds with one another, but instead being united in Christ and therefore doing away with the distinction between the circumcised and uncircumcised. So, if you've been with us through this series and you were here as we went through chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's natural to wonder, why does Paul say, do not live like the Gentiles? One might question, isn't this a counter-argument to what he has already said in the previous chapter? Well, it's important to know that the Greek word here in verse 17 that is translated as Gentiles is the word ethnos. And for some of you, that may sound familiar. This term can be translated as the world, the nations, the peoples, and Gentiles. Also, biblical authors have employed the word to express the idea of uncircumcised and anything not Jewish. So then with that, the question becomes, why do the majority of English translators choose Gentiles over the other meanings like the world? You see, the ESV, the NIV, the KJV, the new KJV, and the NASB all translate ethnos here in verse 17 as Gentiles. And I think they do this for two reasons. One, Gentiles is an accurate and accepted translation of the word ethnos. But number two, and more importantly, I think that Gentiles follows the way in which Paul has used the word ethnos throughout the epistle to the Ephesians thus far. So again, in chapters two and three, Paul used ethnos to communicate the idea of uncircumcised Gentiles. However... Here in verse 17, Paul is not making a distinction between circumcised and uncircumcised. But instead, he is delineating between believers and unbelievers, between Christians and non-Christians. Here in verse 17, ethnos or Gentiles no longer represents the uncircumcised. Because he's already said that that is no longer a distinguishing factor. 
Instead, ethnos now corresponds to anyone who is not united to Christ by grace through faith. For St. Paul, Gentiles in this context is a nomenclature for those who are separated from Christ, still dead in their trespasses and sins, alienated from God's people and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is what the Apostle Paul means by Gentiles here in verse 17. So then, taking all of these things together, St. Paul is telling the Ephesians, do not live like unbelievers. Do not live like you are separated from Christ. And for the sake of clarity, Paul notes the way unbelievers conduct themselves. He says this, they are futile in their thinking, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, ironically, in chapter 2, this is exactly how Paul described the spiritual condition of the Ephesians, and all Christians included, before they experienced the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, before God made them alive together with Christ. He continues by saying, Unbelievers have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The Greek word that is translated as sensuality can also mean to be unbridled with lust, licentious, insolent, shameless, and immoral. Likewise, the Greek word that is translated as impurity can also mean the same things, lustful and licentious. So, in short, Paul says that one of the distinguishing marks of an unbeliever is immorality. It's a life of immorality, a living of immorality, a walking of immorality. So then here in verses 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesians, do not live like unbelievers in immorality. Because the Ephesians received the blessings in Christ and had been positioned in Christ, there should have been an apparent change of living and conduct. The apostles' expectation for the Christians in Ephesus was that they would abstain and flee from and resist sensuality and impurity. They were to no longer walk and live like unbelievers. St. Paul expected these Christians to demonstrate fruits of righteousness in keeping with repentance. In fact, in the next couple of verses, the Apostle Paul will reiterate this thought by saying, put off the old self, the old sinful way of living. There is to be an apparent change in conduct and living. Once the Ephesians were moved from death to life, once they were separated but then brought near, that brought with it a change of life, a different walk. And so here in point number one, Paul says, don't do this. Don't live like unbelievers in a life of immorality. This is point number two. Paul said, don't do this. Now he says, do this. So draw your attention to verses 20 through 24. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In these verses, there are three things that Paul tells the Ephesians to do. First, he says they are to put off their old self. That is, they are to engage in the negative work associated with repentance, such as abstaining from, fleeing from, and resisting sin. Putting off the old self is equivalent to laying down the works of unrighteousness. It is equal to putting off sin. The second action item for the Ephesians was that they were to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul expresses the same thought when he says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewed mind is the antithesis of the futile mind that is darkened, as Paul explained, is the disposition of the unbeliever. Their mind is futile and darkened. The renewed mind is both perceptive and enlightened. So Paul is saying that the Ephesians are to have their minds renewed. And the renewal of the mind takes place when one is engaged with and informed by the Holy Scripture. As I said two weeks ago, the Apostle Paul did want the Ephesians to be intellectually engaged with the text and truth of Scripture. That's not all he wanted, but he did in fact want them to be intellectually engaged. And that's why he devoted chapters 1 through 3 to explaining the indicatives of the gospel. He wanted the Christians in Ephesus to know the truth intellectually so that they would be transformed by the truth experientially. And that is what he is stressing here again. A renewing of the mind by exposure to the truth of God's word. The third thing that he tells the Ephesians to do is put on the new self. So put off the old self, renew the mind, and thirdly he says put on the new self. As putting off is synonymous with the negative work of abstaining and fleeing and resisting, putting on the new self is equal to doing the positive works of righteousness. So, again, putting off is the idea of laying down the works of unrighteousness. Putting on the new self is the idea of picking up the works of righteousness, actually doing virtuous deeds required in God's moral law. Those are the three things. Put off, renew, and put on. So in verses 17 through 19, Paul says, don't do this. Don't live like unbelievers in immorality. And then here in verses 20 to 24, Paul says, do this. Put off the old self. Renew your mind 
and put on the new self in Christ Jesus. So that that is what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians. But in closing, I want to answer the question, what does this mean for you and me here at All Saints Church? So for starters, it's important to understand that the Apostle Paul's do's and don'ts from this text apply to you and me. As believers who have received the blessings of God in Christ Jesus, as you and I have been united to Christ by grace through faith and made fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, Paul's admonitions are for you and me. As Christians, the expectation for us is that we would not live like unbelievers. That you and I would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The kind of fruit that looks like putting off the old self and renewing the mind and putting on the new self. As God's people, you and I are to mortify the flesh. You and I are to kill sin. We are to walk over the belly of our lusts. As believers, we are to put off the old self. Furthermore, you and I are expected to renew our minds. We are not to think like the world in a futile and darkened way. Instead, we are to have a biblical worldview that shapes the way we think about and relate to the world we live in. And the way this happens is by engaging with the Word of God through daily Bible reading, attending Sunday school, and listening to the Word preached in the worship service. Furthermore, being united to Christ, there is an expectation that we would not only abstain from doing evil, but there is an expectation that we would also demonstrate functional righteousness and do good works, such as giving to the widow and the orphan who are in need, speaking honestly and openly and truthfully with one another, and preserving human life. Those are just some examples of the positive nature of God's law. But dear saints, Paul's admonitions are for you and me to put into practice. You should leave here today with that operating presupposition that Paul's words are for us this morning. But it is vitally important that you understand three things, especially as we move forward through the rest of this epistle to the church at Ephesus. The first thing is this. As the colic for today instructed us, you and I cannot put off sin and put on righteousness in our own strength. This can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And this is a result of being united to Christ, a result of being positioned in Him. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, we see that this is a theological presupposition that Paul is operating with. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the gift of the Holy Spirit is in fact a blessing 
from God. And therefore, because you and I can't put off and put on in our own strength, one of the things you and I practically need to do is ask God to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might put off the old self. We need to ask the Father to strengthen us by the power of the Spirit so that we might put on the new self and do the works of the Son, Jesus Christ. Just a quick overview of some of the theological podcasts that exist that anybody could uh, listen to. I have heard so many people articulate all the things that they have done in their own strength, all of their spiritual disciplines, all of their accomplishments in terms of their walk or their conduct or their living. This morning, I am not here to say that I am a master of anything and I can tell you all that I have accomplished in my walk. Instead, I am a beggar who has found a pot of gold, particularly in Romans chapter 8, where Paul instructs us that the power of the Holy Spirit is what helps us to accomplish God's law. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that allows us to put off and put on. And so I am not here to say anything as an expert, only a beggar, telling you I have found a pot of gold. Would you come and partake of that gold with me? And that gold is the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we need to grasp is this. Perfection will not be attained outside of future glorification. Perfection will not be attained in this life. Therefore, there will be times when you and I fail to put off the old self. And we will neglect to put on the new self. But in these moments, we need to confess and repent of our sin. The Apostle John gives us these words of comfort. He says this, I am writing so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Also, because perfection will not be achieved in this life, people in this church will sin against you. They will fail to put off the old self, and they will neglect to put on the new self. And in these moments, we must be quick to forgive. Third, the third vital point that you need to understand, and probably the most important for the remainder of this series, is this. The motivation for putting off and putting on is not to earn our acceptance or justification with God. Instead, the motivation is simply because God is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our daily and practical worship in the form of obedience. I said this two weeks ago. We might think of worship as something that we only do on Sundays or in song or with some sort of liturgical element. 
However, the Bible is clear. All of life is worship. And obedience to the scripture is, in fact, worship. The continental reformers, the German and Dutch Christians, the Christians of that tradition, have another way of articulating this and saying this. This is what they say. Worship is gratitude. And gratitude is ultimately what we are engaged in when we obey God. Worship is gratitude, and gratitude is ultimately what we are engaged in when we obey God. And that is because of this. We don't obey as a means to earn our salvation. We obey because we have been saved, we have been redeemed, we have been adopted, and we are grateful. And this, in fact, is what the remainder of Ephesians is all about. This is what the new life in Christ is about. Living life in Christ, positioned in him by grace through faith. Living a life of worship, a walk of worship for the glory of God. Not as a means of earning our acceptance. Not as a means of earning our justification. But simply because God is worthy and we are grateful. Dear saints, I pray that you would heed the admonitions of the Apostle Paul this morning. Do not live like unbelievers, but instead put off the old self, renew the mind, and put on the new self in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.